Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Listen ad-free by subscribing on Apple, searching the Murder Diaries ad-free on Spotify, or subscribing on Patreon. Welcome back to the Murder Diaries. I'm Paige. And I'm Natalie. Two weeks into a six-week adventure in Panama, 21-year-old Chris Kremers and 22-year-old Lizanne Fron left their host family's house for a hike on the Pianista Trail. What shouldn't have taken more than just a few hours turned into a nightmare for the girls' families. Chris and Lizanne never returned from their hike, and a portion of their belongings and remains were found in a nearby river. Officials ruled their deaths as accidental, despite the evidence found from their recovered backpack. A decade later, and Chris and Lizanne's last days alive still remain a mystery. This is their story. You still think it's in my head But I'm walking with the dead Lizanne Fraun was born September 24th, 1991 in Utrecht, Netherlands to Peter and Dine Fraun. She was often described by those who knew her as inquisitive, intelligent, and thoughtful. Lizanne was the baby of the family with an older brother named Martijn. She graduated with a degree in applied psychology and though she wasn't the biggest crowd lover, she thoroughly enjoyed the study of human behavior while obtaining her education. Chris Kremers was born August 9th, 1992, also in Utrecht, Netherlands, to Hans and Ruli Greet. Chris was the middle child with two brothers named Sjors and Tyne. Chris was always known to be the creative one. Everything about the world of art fascinated her. She graduated with a degree in cultural social education, specializing in art education. She planned on continuing her education by studying art history in Amsterdam. Chris was a social butterfly and loved trying new things. She was spontaneous and understood the value of a good conversation with someone. Some of her favorite bands were Red Hot Chili Peppers and Pearl Jam. Lizanne and Chris lived together in a dorm room in Amserfoot and worked together in a cafe named Din Kleinenhap. They'd both been saving up their earnings for six months for a special trip. The two girls had planned a six-week vacation to Panama. They wanted to learn Spanish, and they were going to volunteer at a daycare center there. The trip, which also intended to be a graduation present for Lizanne, was set for March of 2014. The girls had every detail planned out and even learned different Spanish songs and games in preparation for volunteering with the children. During an interview with the Honduran publication La Prensa, Chris's parents described why their daughter wanted to travel abroad. Keep in mind, this quote is a translation from what the family originally said in Dutch. It could have been translated at least once or twice even before this translation came to us in our research. We traveled together two years ago to Peru, and that's why we find it interesting and good she decided to study Spanish in Latin America. The decision was made jointly with Lizanne, whom she'd met four years ago in the restaurant in the city of Amserfoot. 
At the beginning of the year, she and her friend began to select a destination in Latin America and found that Boquete offered, in addition to Spanish classes, the possibility of doing social service work, taking care of children in a nursery. In mid-March of 2014, Lisanne and Chris's parents joined their daughters at Schiphol, the airport in Amsterdam. After their tearful but excited goodbyes, Lisanne and Chris started their journey. Their flight had a layover in Houston, Texas, then in San Jose, California. And by March 15th, the girls arrived at the island of Isla Colon in Panama, ready to start their six-week trip. In the first two weeks of their trip, 21-year-old Chris and 22-year-old Lizanne spent much of their time socializing and making new friends. Pictures showed the girls on the beautiful Panamanian beaches, their feet covered in sand while they sipped drinks out of coconuts. They played cards and drank tropical drinks. They took photos of each other kneeling in the ocean, holding a starfish that was bigger than their hands. There were pictures of them playing beach volleyball and cooking out with new groups of friends of orange and blue sunsets, and countless photos of the girls at the beach. Based on their camera reels, Lizanne and Chris were having the time of their lives. Lizanne and Chris's diaries were later translated into English, which gave even more insight into how the girls spent their first two weeks. In an entry dated for three dates, March 15th, 16th, and 17th, Lizanne wrote the following, I could live in Bocas for the rest of my life. Maybe when I ever retire, I'm sitting in the sun, which I can't hold out much longer, by the way, hot, and I take a good look around and me at my new accommodations for the next two weeks, even in the shade, I have the feeling that I can still burn alive. But despite this, the sun is actually quite nice, how intensely happy it can make a person. Lisanne's entry from March 18th was short, but clearly showed that she and Chris were making the most of their trip. She wrote, Red Frog Beach, one word, amazing. We've also seen a dolphin, the ultimate enjoyment. Drinking from a coconut, a real one, yes, and getting sunburned. I worked well on my tan. What more do you want? On March 19th, Lizanne wrote about how she and Chris started their Spanish class, and despite it being difficult, she was excited that she was able to recognize more of what was being said in conversations. The girls went to a cooking class where they learned how to make tortillas and gazpacho before spending the night dancing and drinking with friends at an outdoor disco. The next few days were spent doing much of the same, attending their Spanish class, traveling to nearby islands, and spending the afternoons on the beach in the sun and filling their evenings with dancing and drinking. Chris's diary entries elaborated on the beautiful sights they were seeing throughout Panama. On March 25th, about 10 days into the trip, Chris wrote the following entry. We went in a small boat, and first we went dolphin spotting. Then we sailed to the edge of the mangrove where we saw sloths in the trees. It was very cool. I'm happy that I could see those animals so clearly. We saw beautiful coral, also those plants with the long, thick strings and many different fish. I thought I'd be pretty scared because I don't really like fish, but it was really nice to see everything. Then we went for a walk across the island and arrived at the other side of it, and it was super beautiful. Truly a fairy tale island. On Saturday, March 29th, Lizanne and Chris arrived in Boquete around 3.30 p.m. Boquete was where they were planning on staying with a host family and volunteering in a children's school. Though excited about what was to come, Lizanne wrote an entry about missing home. I'm sitting here with tears in my eyes rolling down my cheeks. The view of the mountains is beautiful. 
The house is spacious and the family is friendly. I'm even here with Chris, who is so very familiar. But still, I want to go home. I had no problems for two weeks and suddenly I went completely crazy. The transition from two weeks of lively holiday to stepping into the life of a real Panamanian family is too much for me. I cannot make myself understood. And this is real life, not a vacation anymore. I was way too naive to think that I could handle this because this is exactly the type of situation that I just can't handle. I'm in way over my head. I want mom and dad to hold me tight and tell me everything will be all right. It is precisely because I'm 22 that I think I have to solve this myself. The next entry dated from March 30th, Lizanne wrote that she was feeling better, but still a bit nervous about being with the host family. Chris's diary also mentioned that it was a strange feeling to be with this new family, writing, Last night, we really had to get used to the new situation. You suddenly stay with a family that you're not yet a part of. You know nothing about their habits, and you actually don't know how to behave. Despite the nerves, both girls wrote that the family was kind and very welcoming, even though their Spanish wasn't quite so good. On March 31st, it was finally time for the girls to travel to the daycare that they were set to volunteer with, but they were turned away. They wrote that they were told they weren't expected until the following week. Chris and Lisanne were both understandably disappointed that their volunteer plans fell through, but they made up for it. They spent the remainder of the day around Boquette, eating lunch, and then getting a full-body massage at a local massage parlor. By the time evening rolled around, they returned to their host family's house where they spent a quiet night in. Before we start talking about the disappearances, I want to note that some aspects of the timeline and witnesses are still not 100% known. As I'm speaking, I'm going to notate which pieces are more speculated and which have been confirmed. Both Chris and Lizanne had been communicating with their families back home daily through text messages, video calls, you name it. On Tuesday, April 1st, the families hadn't heard from the girls. Hans, Chris's father, said that they were pretty concerned. And by Wednesday the 2nd, they still hadn't received any response to their texts. The Kremers contacted the Franz, who were also worried because they too had not heard from Lasanne. In a later interview with the NOS, one of Netherlands' largest news outlets, Peter Fraun explained how he and his wife found out that Lisanne and Chris were missing. Quote, Last Wednesday night, we were called, around midnight, by a schoolteacher in Boquete. They wanted to tell us that both the girls had not returned to their host family. We took that for fact and then called Judith from the travel agency that helped the girls find volunteer work abroad. Initially, her response was that perhaps they had gone out for a bit and that surely they would be all right. But she started making phone calls to Panama nonetheless. And at that point, it became clear that Chris and Lisanne had been missing for over 24 hours already. That was when all the alarm bells started to ring and we realized that something serious could be going on. That was when Hans called us about filing a report to the police. It was determined that the last time contact was made with one of the girls was around 2 p.m. on Tuesday, April 1st. That's when Chris spoke to her boyfriend. The exact time of what we used as 2 p.m. is reported differently in different sources, but it's generally understood that it was either in the morning or a little bit earlier afternoon. 
A taxi driver picked up Chris and Lazan and Boquete around 1.30 p.m. He reported that he had dropped them off around 10 minutes later at the entrance of the Pianista Trail. This trail was considered to be a pretty challenging route of 4.9 miles out and back. All Trails website describes the area as a, quote, unique experience, and that after 15 minutes, you are surrounded by rainforest, including a unique soundscape of rippling water, chirping animals, and singing birds. Reviews from those who had hiked the Pianista said that it was most definitely not a beginner hike and that the trail was steep, muddy, and slippery. It was also recommended by most reviewers to make sure that you download a map or bring GPS because it was easy to get lost. After the taxi driver dropped the girls off, restaurant owner Giovanni Santoro, who owned the Italian restaurant at the entrance of the trail, answered some questions that they had about the trail. His wife ended up letting the girls take their dog, Blue, as a guide for their hike. A few witnesses reported having seen the girls on their hike up the trail, but none noticed anything out of the ordinary. On Wednesday, April 2nd, the day after the girls set off on their hike, a local tour guide was concerned when Chris and Lizanne didn't meet him for their scheduled guided tour at 8 a.m. He went to the school where he believed the girls were volunteering, but they weren't there either. It was found that the girls weren't at their host family's home either and that they'd never returned from the hike. Their families reported them missing to Dutch police, while those looking for them in Panama contacted police that evening to do the same. Obviously, there was immediate concern in both Panama and back in the girls' hometown for their well-being. That's because this was entirely out of character for both of them, especially knowing that they made plans for the upcoming days. Recently, I noticed what a wreck my closet was. Since the pandemic, I have transitioned from on-site work to at-home work, back to on-site work, and my closet was a mess because of it. I didn't have the clothes I needed, and I needed quality clothes that I knew I could build a capsule wardrobe with, or at least add to my capsule wardrobe. Quince was my answer. The best part of it, too, is that all Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the saving on to us. Another really cool thing about Quince is that they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, which I love. In fact, one of the things I've ordered from Quince is this Italian leather handwoven phone crossbody. I got it in the emerald green and I love it. In fact, if you follow us on our Instagram, you've probably seen me use it at a few concerts. It's the perfect bag. It's It's not too big where I have to leave it in the car and it holds my phone, my ID, and even my EpiPen. So win, win. I love it. Join Natalie and I in indulging in affordable luxury with Quince. Go to quince.com slash diaries for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's quince, Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash diaries to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash diaries. Thanks so much to Quince for making this episode possible. By April 3rd, flyers were being handed out in Boquete and alerts for the missing hikers were on television. Air searches using helicopters were initiated, but the weather prohibited them from being able to see too much. Volunteers and mountain search professionals explored the Pianista Trail looking for any signs of Chris or Lizanne. They showed photos of the missing girls to indigenous people around the area, but no one had seen them. 
Days continue to pass, bringing both Chris and Lizanne's family to Boquete to help search for them. Volunteers said the government continued to scour the area that the girls were believed to have been hiking in. Tips came rolling in, including one that suggested the girls were being held at the restaurant at the entrance of the trail, Il Pianista. However, this was unsubstantiated. The reward money was increased for any information found that would lead to finding Lizanne and Chris alive. More tips came in, but none were proving viable. On May 14th, a blue shirt was found in the area, but the girls' families said that it didn't belong to either of their daughters. As the time continued to pass, the chances of finding Lizanne and Chris alive dwindled. On June 11th, more than two months after Lizanne and Chris were last seen, a woman found a backpack at the Culebra River, about six to 10 miles north of the Pianista Trail. The woman who found it reported that it was just sitting with a pile of driftwood at the shore of the river. Sources say that this area was prone to flooding and heavy rains, which the area had received quite a bit of. The Burton brand backpack had light blue straps and black accents. It was also adorned with blue and purple accents. There was damage to the backpack, but it was full of belongings. Surprisingly, the items inside were relatively dry and well-preserved and included the following. A black and dark gray Canon camera with the battery and camera case, 16 gigabyte memory card, a white Samsung cell phone with the battery inside, but no SIM card or memory card, a black iPhone, two undergarments, two pairs of sunglasses, about $83 in cash, and Lizanne's insurance card. We'll have a picture of all of this on the blog post at themurderdiariespodcast.com, and we'll include it in our Instagram post. It was clear. The backpack belonged to Lisanne and Chris. This discovery brought a very real possibility to the forefront of everyone's minds. Chris and Lisanne may not be alive. It seemed unlikely that the girls would have willingly let go of their cell phones or Lisanne's passport. However scary this discovery was for the family and friends of these two girls, it also brought forth a lot of information about their movements after they were last seen. Analysis of the photos taken on the Canon camera and the cell phones showed that the girls appeared to start their hike at the Pianista Trail around 11.08 a.m. on April 1st. A photo taken at this time showed the girls at the trailhead. This, however, would contradict the timeline given to the taxi driver who dropped the girls off that day. This discrepancy hasn't been entirely explained yet either, at least to the public. 33 photos were taken on this day of April 1st, all of them showing the girls in different areas of the trail, including the summit area called the Mirador. Based on the photos, it seems that the girls had reached the trail summit around 1 p.m., which would match with how long the hike typically took. The next group of photos were found all taken in the early morning hours of April 8th during the span of around two and a half, three hours between 1.29 and 4.10 a.m. The majority of those photos being taken between 1.29 and 2 a.m. The flash appeared to have been on in all of the photos. Many of them looked to have been taken as though the photographer was pointing the camera up at the sky. None of the photos showed Lizanne, Chris, or anyone else except for one that was taken at 1.49 a.m. This photo shows what appears to be the back of Chris's head. However, it's unclear. The photo frame is almost completely full of strawberry blonde hair. Many questions have been raised about this photo. Why does the hair appear to be so clean? If someone had been living for more than a week in the jungle, wouldn't their hair be a bit more disheveled and dirty? 
Some people who have analyzed the photo believe that there's a wound on the person's head with visible blood. However, this has not been proven. In addition to the information obtained from the photos, authorities were also able to analyze the cell phone's data. Chris's iPhone showed that the day the girls went hiking, April 1st, at 4.39 p.m., someone called 112, which is the Dutch emergency number. Lausanne's Samsung Galaxy S3 then called 112 at 4.51 p.m. Neither call was connected due to poor service. It's believed that around 5.50 p.m., both phones were turned off. The following day, April 2nd, the Galaxy was turned on and 112 was dialed again at 6.58 a.m. The phone had no cell service and did not connect. At 8.12 a.m., the iPhone was turned on, 112 was dialed, did not connect, and the phone was turned off. At 10.52 a.m., the Galaxy dialed 112, then 911, which is the Panamanian number if you're in an emergency in need of medical assistance. The Samsung Galaxy was then left on. At 2.21 a.m. on April 3rd, the weather app was then opened. Other apps were reportedly open, but it's unknown which ones. At 7.36 a.m., the Galaxy's battery went down to 1%. Then it's believed that it was turned off. The iPhone dialed 911 twice that morning with no connection. There were no further attempts to call emergency services. Up until this point, it appeared that the cell phones had one bar of cell signal, but wouldn't connect. After this, the phones did not have any further signal connections. April 4th was the last time that Lazan's Galaxy turned on, likely due to the battery dying. On April 5th, Chris's iPhone was powered on, with this being the last time that the passcode was entered correctly. After this, whenever the iPhone was turned on, the code was not entered correctly or not entered at all. The iPhone was turned on April 5th, 6th, and for the last time on April 11th for 64 minutes. Based on the data obtained from the cell phones, it was obvious that they'd been in distress. However, it was still impossible to tell whether they'd simply gotten lost in the jungle or if they'd become the victims of foul play. On Thursday, June 19th, the justice officer in Boquete made an announcement that human remains had been found during their search for Lizanne and Chris. One of the trail guides and several locals had found human remains, including a pelvic bone and two shoes along the Rio Culebra River. One of those shoes was found not to belong to the girls, but the other was found with the laces still tied with a sock and human bones inside. A pair of jean shorts were also found that are believed to belong to Chris. The pelvic bone was later determined to belong to Chris as well. The bones found in the shoe belonged to Lizanne. Though this area had reportedly been searched before, there had also been a drought that affected the water levels. On Friday, June 20th, the Kremers and Franz made a public announcement that despite their continued hopes that the girls were still alive, they had significant reasons to believe that they were both deceased. Eventually, the two families also made an announcement that they will continue their own investigations separately, no longer working closely together. Though it was determined Lausanne and Chris were likely deceased, the searches in the area didn't stop. The search teams narrowed their focus to the area where the remains had been found in hopes of finding any clues to indicate what might have happened to the girls. In August, several other human bones were located, including one of Chris's ribs and two bones from Lausanne's lower leg. In September, an autopsy report was released. Though the causes of death were unable to be determined, it was believed that the girls died eight days after they had gone missing. 
the remains of both girls were brought to their families and each of the girls were laid to rest back at home in the Netherlands. In March of 2015, with no official cause of death or explanation as to what happened, officials in Panama closed the investigation. Though both families had closure in the fact that they knew their daughters were deceased, they were left with so many questions. The most pressing being, did Lisanne and Chris get lost and succumb to the elements? Or were they murdered? Two Dutch authors named Maria and Jürgen dug further into the case, hoping to address the countless conspiracy theories swirling around the internet. In a June 2023 interview with the U.S. Sun, they explained what they think happened to Chris and Lisanne. We don't know if anyone was involved. We can't exclude that. We believe the most likely explanation is that they had an accident, but it's not 100%. Maria and Jürgen said that they planned on going to Panama with a pathologist to look at the rest of the girls' remains, explaining that no one had really searched the area since January of 2015. Quote, the only way to make a full conclusion is when we find the rest of the bodies. I think there should still be remains there in the jungle from the girls. You can't just walk there. There's flash floods. The water will rise and fall in a matter of minutes. There are house-sized boulders near the river. You can't even climb them. There's a lot of volcanoes in the area, so it's very steep. Once you're down at the river, there's no way you can get back. But at the end of the river, there's a dam. There's a filter that stops all the boulders and branches. If the bones were taken by the river, you might find them in the dam. Because the first call from the girl's phone to emergency services was on the afternoon they started their hike, it's possible that one of the girls had gotten injured when their phones were unable to connect. It's possible they found somewhere to rest for the night and then began walking along the riverbed in the wrong direction the next morning. When Lizanne and Chris's remains were analyzed, it was found that Chris's pelvis was fractured, However, it couldn't be proven whether this was done pre- or post-mortem. Additionally, Lizanne's leg bones were found to have inflammation noted, which could indicate that she broke her toes. There was also evidence of animal scavenging, which could explain some damage to the bones. In regards to the large amount of photos taken on the girl's camera after they were determined to be missing, Maria gave two theories. The first theory is that they were simply using the camera's flash as a light to see around them. The other theory is that the girls heard something or someone and were using the flash to hopefully attract attention. Ultimately, Maria told the son that she believes that Chris died from an accident, alone and terrified. Lizanne also perished when she was unable to find her way back. Jürgen told the Daily Beast that after all their research and interviews, he agrees that based on the way Lizanne and Chris's belongings and remains were found, their deaths were the result of an accident. Quote, with all that I'm reading now in the police file, it couldn't be anything else. There was a certain sequence and timing to it that had to be caused by flash floods typical to the region and season. Those flash floods made staging scenes or strategically placing items impossible. While some believe that rather than turning around after reaching the summit, the girls continued down the path, ultimately becoming lost, others argue that that just doesn't seem possible. The hike from the restaurant at the entrance of the trail, Il Pianista, to the trail has been reported to be pretty easy to follow. Groups who hiked the Pianista specifically to understand Lausanne and Chris's last step seem to all agree that it would be pretty difficult to get lost on the way up to the summit. After reaching the summit, however, there is reportedly no official indication announcing the hikers should turn around and hike back down the trail. It's not out of the question that Lizanne and Chris could have assumed that continuing on past the summit would have looped them back around to the trail entrance, or that perhaps they didn't even realize that they'd reached the summit. 
Others disagree and think that while it's possible that the girls did indeed get lost, they met with foul play. As is often discussed when young women disappear in foreign countries, many people believe Chris and Lizanne were abducted or held hostage, then ultimately murdered. They argue that there's plenty of evidence to indicate foul play. One point raised is that the two cell phones are never on at the same time. This could indicate that just one of the girls was handling both cell phones. This could also explain why after a certain point, Chris's iPhone pin was never entered correctly again. Could Chris have already been deceased at this point and Lizanne was attempting to get phone service on both of their phones? On April 1st, the day after the girls left for the hike, remember, there were two attempts to contact emergency services. The girls were worried enough about something to call for help, but only tried twice, then shut their phones off for the rest of the day. It's likely that this was done because the girls were probably attempting to conserve power on both of their cell phones. However, over the next two days, the Samsung had been left on for 15 hours straight, which drained it. There doesn't seem to be any clear theory that fully explains this activity that was recorded on both phones. In regards to the backpack, the fact that the items were found still mostly intact has struck a chord with many people. How could the force of the river presumably break Chris's pelvic bone, but not manage to significantly damage either cell phone or the digital camera? A German tourist claimed to have seen Chris and Lizanne on April 5th being beaten and thrown down a ravine. He also reported having heard a female voice screaming for help. There was also reportedly a fringe couple who was told by a Panamanian local that they should avoid the Pianista Trail as he'd heard two girls screaming on April 1st. The investigation into the disappearances and deaths of Lizanne and Chris has been heavily scrutinized. There was reportedly no chain of command regarding the evidence found and no fingerprint analysis conducted, despite the backpack belongings having fingerprints on them that didn't belong to the girls. The state prosecutor said that the discovery of the backpack with the girls' belongings still inside was a clear proof that their deaths had been accidental. She said that if a crime had been committed, their belongings would have been taken as well. We know in the true crime community, that's not true. Like many stories of tourists who have disappeared in foreign countries, the concern for the government's intentional mishandling of the case has been at the forefront. Many foreign countries, including Panama, rely quite a bit on the tourist trade. When tourists disappear or meet with foul play, it can have a critical effect on the country's tourism industry. Many of the locals believe that the girls were murdered, but don't speak about it publicly due to concerns that they might get in trouble. There have been several other tourists who have gone missing in the region, but they were located by search parties shortly after. A Daily Beast article wrote the following, The death of a foreign visitor in a tourist-dependent Panama almost always leads to heavy press coverage, police attention, and rewards for information. Including Chris and Lausanne's, there have been at least 25 unsolved murders and disappearances in this remote, rural stretch of Panama since 2009. Some suggest the real number of the disappeared could be much higher. In the majority of these cases, no bodies have been recovered, no rigorous investigations launched by authorities. No further official searches have taken place to locate the rest of Chris and Lizanne's remains, nor any investigation into the possibility of foul play. Though their families have the closure of knowing that their daughters are no longer missing, it becomes more likely with each passing day that they will never have the full story of what happened to Chris and Lizanne. That's it for this week, but be sure to follow us on all socials at the Murder Diaries Pod. Until next time, stay safe. Bye. Bye. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.